that in the chaos of life and the insanity of randomosity and things like that, that God is just not moved. It's not like we need everything to be perfect in order to feel the Lord, in order to interact with Him today. Um, so, indeed, praise God. Romans 8, if you have your Bibles. That was good. That was good. Um, my soul, now this thing's all messed up. Good times. I am excited uh, to bring the word this morning. I know uh, a double dose of me is not the ideal that I plan for, guys. Um, so I pray that Jesus is seen today and it's not just a bunch of hunter. Um, but we're back in Romans, as you can see, and I, I've been super excited. We're in one of the um, most glorious chapters in all of Scripture, Romans 8. And, and I hope that as we talk, I'm going to refer a little bit to what we covered last time we were in Romans, like four weeks ago now. Um, we're we're going to take it slow, and we're probably going to hit Romans like maybe once a month right now. And that's, that's probably all you'll have me um, preaching for a little while. Um, so we're going to kind of slow it down and just meditate in a few verses. We're going to be in the first 11 verses today in, in Romans 8. And um, we're going to continue. We're just picking up our discussion of the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. We must learn. We must learn, church, to live in the spirit and see spiritually. We must come away from fleshly thinking and fleshly values. And that's what I pray God teaches us today. And we're going to pray, and when I pray, I want you to pray for yourselves and for me um, that, that God would teach us. We need the spirit to interact with us today and, and to use me to, to preach the word, because for some reason he's chosen to use me today, and that is a that is a fearful thing. Let's read it first, and then we'll pray, and then start diving in. So, Romans 8. Can we stand, actually? I know you just had, had a seat. We're not going to read the whole chapter. It's a long one. We're just going to read the first 11 verses, and as we continue through it, we might progressively as, you know, read as much as we're, we cover that day. So, today is just the first 11 verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is what? It's death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is what? Hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. And get this, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. You don't need to answer out loud, but where is your mind right now? Are you sober? Are you ready to engage? Are you ready to hear from the Lord? Are you ready to receive from the Lord? Father, you're so faithful and you're so merciful. And I'm, I just thank you for how safe I am right now in the spirit no work of my own no doing of my own lord it is your work lord these are your people i am your people we are your sheep lord would you feed us today would you feed us in your mercy with your grace this is the moment you've brought us to lord may we just rest in this moment and hear the word yeah sure this concerns going on sure there's this situation we got to face this week or tomorrow or this afternoon but but lord right here 
is where you have us. This is your will because we're here. So may we rest in you. May we hear. May we receive. Lord, give us ears to hear. Tend the soil of our hearts so that we can receive it. Lord, give us understanding in Jesus' name. Give us understanding. And, and Lord, I pray that your joy would be our strength. Lord, use me. Use me as it pleases you today. Lord, I thank you that there's just freedom in Christ. There's rest. There's joy. And we can trust you. We can rest in you. So we rest in you to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, have a seat. Have a seat. <clears throat> All right, verse 1. Let's get right into it. Right into it. Have your Bibles handy. Romans 8, 1 through 11, what we just read. Verse 1. Therefore, we just have to stop right here. We're, we're coming into the middle of a conversation. We're coming into the middle of a, a discussion. In chapter 7, Paul described to us the futility and the frustration of attempting to serve and live for God in our flesh and according to our flesh. Begin remembering this. The conclusion he reached was verses 24 and 25 of chapter 7. The the chapter right before what, what we just read. This was his conclusion. Paul talking about living for God in the flesh and serving God in the flesh. He says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. But with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. This must be our conclusion as well, church. Not simply stating how wretched we are. Because we, you know, Paul said it and it's the Bible and we know it's true. So yes, I'm a sinner. I'm of course, I'm wretched. No. But actually coming to that conclusion in your own life by experience, by looking at your life, by observing the the patterns and habits and the sin that is within you. And maybe that sounds like I'm presuming a lot. Well, I presume it because the Bible presumes it on us. There is sin within us. There is sin within us. It wasn't just Paul. We need to come to this conclusion in our own life and over and over again throughout our life. What a wretched human I am. Not in a beat yourself up, you know, feel bad about yourself, hate yourself. No, no. But realizing what is. And I'll tell you something. I stand up here knowing I am a wretched human. And that is not... That is not, you know, false humility. That's not, that's just true. That's just true. I know my sin. I know it. And there's some times where I'm blind to it, which, man, I'm even more wretched. Reaching this conclusion is critical to our understanding of flesh versus spirit. Because as long as you have confidence in your flesh, meaning confidence in your human ability, your effort, your self-will, and your flesh's ability to help you please God, you will miss what it means to live in the Spirit. We cannot have any confidence in the flesh. As long as you think there's something good in your flesh, you'll believe you can do something for God. You'll believe that you in yourself are capable of pleasing God. I don't care whether you're saved or not saved. In your flesh, you cannot please God. It's not, oh, I'm saved, so now, you know, I'll just try harder, and now now it'll work. No, no. Still in the flesh, in your human ability. In our last discussion on Romans, we discussed the two operating systems, like Apple and Android, right? Those, I'll be using those today. The different operating systems. And I don't even know if those are actually the, the operating systems. They, they just use different operating systems. The flesh and the spirit. Those are our two operating systems. And Paul tells us in the last verse of chapter 7 that as long as our operating system is the flesh, the result will be sin. No matter how good and pure we think it looks. So we saw what it looks like to operate in the flesh. It was defeated. It was, what a wretched man I am. I want to do what's right, but when I want to do what's right, there's no ability in me to do it. Defeated. Today we're going to continue that conversation and turn our attention to what it means to walk in the Spirit. So there we go. We looked at the first word today. 
Moving on to the rest of the verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're going to discover and look at the beauty of what it means to be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you are in the Spirit. You're in the Spirit. His Spirit. The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is in you. We, we, we become one. We are not God, but we become one with Him in Christ. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's okay if you don't understand that. You probably shouldn't. Because that is a perplexing, amazing, astounding reality. Receive it by faith right now. So are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? There is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. And I'm probably going to cover this later, but I feel like I need to address it right now. Well, how do I get in Christ? The simplicity of faith. You receive Jesus. You believe in Jesus. That he is enough to take care of your sin. He is enough to make you new. That he is enough. That, that he is who he is. You receive that and then walk in it. That's what it means. It's just you're in Christ. Receive my faith. And if you're not in Christ today, that is my hope for you. That by the end of today, you would see, I need to be in Christ. And I would love to talk with you about that. I know there could be a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. There's a lot of stuff. It's not something to just like nonchalantly, oh yeah, I'm just going to receive Christ. No, but to realize what's happening. And I would love nothing more than, than to sit down with you and, and, and walk you through what that means. But it is really as simple as receiving him by faith. Receive who Jesus is and what he's done for you. I don't want you to answer out loud, but actually ask yourself, guys. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. How much does that truth actually mean to you in this moment? There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. It's so easy to say that on a Sunday morning standing up here. You need this when you mess up, you know, at lunch on Wednesday. There's no condemnation in Christ. How much did this truth mean to you this week? How much was this in your mind? People, people will condemn you in this life. Your failures and sins will condemn you in this life. And many times, and if you sin, anytime you sin, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Your comfort in Christ is not fleshly. We're already beginning to see the difference between flesh and spirit here. This verse is not promising that nobody should ever judge you for anything. Nobody should ever condemn you for anything. No. You murder someone, you need to be condemned. And you need to spend a long time in prison. That's just the consequences. What we're talking about is spiritual. Our hope is that in Christ, before Almighty God, we have peace. We have His smile. And condemnation does not exist in this relationship. You need to be renewed in spiritual thinking. Because as you experience condemnation from other people, and as you condemn a lot of other people in your life, that will be very hard to miss. It just won't mean much. Because what you see and feel and do here in the flesh distracts you from the truth of what's here in the Spirit. There's no condemnation for you. Yeah, you did that. That was messed up. There was no excuse for it. It's not okay. But God does not condemn you. Again, in the flesh, we don't know what to do with that. Our flesh is like, I don't understand. Of course, it can't. It cannot understand. You must think and live according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. You must know peace with God to be so good and so precious and so freeing that you have joy enough to face your amends and condemnation in this life. Because often what we want, we're more interested, you know, okay, God loves me, He doesn't condemn me, okay, that's great. I'll put that, that's great. But really what I'm concerned about is all these people who are judging me or, you know, that's fleshly thinking. You don't even value that you have peace with Almighty God. I don't value sometimes. This truth that there is no condemnation in Christ is good enough news to outweigh all the condemnation that you rightfully or unjustly experience in this life. Do you agree with this? 
Does your heart resonate? Does it say yes? That is true. And honestly, a couple of weeks ago, for me, it didn't. I didn't value this. I didn't value this enough. But since then, man, God has just opened my eyes to see His mercy in a new way. To see how, I, I hesitate to use this word, but I feel like it's a good word to help us understand. I, hesit, I, 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 I so often miss how lucky I am. And that's not the best word to use. But it helps communicate something. That there's no reason God should choose me. There's no reason God should have mercy on me. And yet He does. He didn't have mercy on me once. He has mercy on me daily. And there's no reason that He should. But He chooses to. By letting me be in Christ. By letting me receive Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. Do you see? Ask. Dear Christian, ask. Ask that you might see the mercy of God in your life. Ask that you might value the peace that you have with God in Christ. And His utter non-existence of condemnation towards you. It's not like God has His condemnation sitting over here waiting for you. It does not exist for you. There is no condemnation. It doesn't say God's condemnation is not over you any longer. It says there's no condemnation for you. Begin to see. Begin to receive. Because your flesh is going to say, well, but I, I don't know. Like, do you feel those objections beginning to rise in you when you consider such an absurd thought? That you might be absolutely free from the condemnation of God? Man, we could just spend all day in this verse. Unless we move on too quickly... Let's, let's spend all day in this verse, right? From this glorious truth, we must remember why. Why is there no condemnation? Because, dear brother and sister, our closest friend, Jesus, has stood in our place on the cross underneath the unhindered waterfall of God's righteous wrath and condemnation. Jesus has endured it for us, and it killed him. The condemnation of the Father killed his own perfect Son, Jesus did not survive it. It killed him. And that condemnation was righteously looming over us. And Jesus said, no, I'll take it. I'll take that. Verse 2. Because the law, there's no condemnation in Christ, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit is, there's no condemnation in Christ. You're free in Christ. That's the law of the spirit of life. You're alive now. You're not just dead. You're alive. The law of sin and death is Romans, I don't know, 323, 623? Basically, you sin, you die. That's the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. And we were all under that law until Christ. And in Christ, we're under a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ There's no condemnation. Verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Yes, here is the gospel again. Here is the work of Christ displayed afresh before our eyes. And these are two very intense verses. When Paul, um, I'm, I'm going to skip this. I forgot to delete all this. Oh, no, no, no. When Paul says the law here, he is referring to the Old Testament law. God's covenant, God's righteous requirement. And that requirement was, you must be righteous. Were any of us righteous? Were any of us righteous? You better know that. You better know that truly, not just say it. You better know, not just declare over yourself, yes, I am a terrible sinner. No, I'm just not, I'm not righteous. I never, I never had it. I never had righteousness. I never achieved it. You have not met the law's requirement. I haven't either. So G- Paul is saying that law, right? We, we could not, the flesh weakened that law. We discovered this requirement of righteousness does not enable the flesh to achieve the law. 
just telling us what to do doesn't give us the power to do it. Doesn't mean we're going to do it. Doesn't mean we're now righteous because, oh, well, there's a law that says this. If I don't keep the law, that law is then weakened. My flesh weakened the law in that sense. Paul says, no, the law says do not covet. Be content with what God has for you. Don't look at everybody else's life around you and want what they have and, and, and yearn for what is not yours. Don't covet. But Paul says, what do we find in our flesh? Every kind of coveting. Now I realize, man, I want everything that I don't have. What I have is never enough. The law says, have no other gods. But what do we find in our flesh? We find the desire to be God. Like Adam and Eve. And you may say, I've never desired that. No, but that, that's, that's what's underneath everything. That's what's underneath all of our sin. Is this, is this mistrust of God? Is this, I want to be God? And whenever God tells me to do something, it reminds me I'm not God. And whether you realize it or not, that's underneath it. That's underneath it. That's Adam and Eve. That's the serpent in the garden. Surely you will not die. God knows. God's keeping something from you. He knows that in the day you eat of the fruit, your eyes are going to be open. And you'll know good and evil. And you'll be wise. You will be like God. Satanic. That's, it's satanic thinking. And that's what drives our sin. That's what drives it. Therefore, the law is weakened by the flesh in the sense that it cannot help us do what we must. And what we must do is be righteous. Does this make sense? Are you with me? All right. The flesh keeps the law from being able to make us righteous. The good news? Again, what the law could not do, God himself did. How? God condemned sin in the flesh because he condemned Jesus who was in the likeness of sinful flesh. You with me? Maybe not. I'm sorry, just hang in there then. I'm not going to go back and explain it again. Now this is not very exciting maybe. This may be a little boring. But the, the way that Paul orders these words, the likeness of sinful flesh, when he's describing Jesus, is really delicate. It's very fragile for our theology. Because if Paul had said, man, I just, I stopped looking at my notes and then they have this weird pause. I'm sorry, guys. Because if Paul had said God sent his own son in sinful flesh, we would still be hopeless. Because the Lamb of God would not be a spotless, perfect, or worthy sin offering, which is in what, indeed, Jesus is. He was that. If Paul said God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh, then we could have cause to doubt that Jesus was maybe even human. If he was just like human flesh, he wasn't actually human. Jesus must be fully God and fully human for this salvation thing to work. And if it doesn't, then Jesus' current priestly intercessory work before the Father for us doesn't work either because he can't actually represent us if he's not human. We can doubt his humanity here. But Paul doesn't say that. He says God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus had a flesh, but he did not have sin. His flesh was in the likeness of our sinful flesh. Jesus was indeed human, as human as we are, and he was tempted in every way like we are, as the word says, but he was without sin. And being without sin, the rest of verse 3 is gloriously possible as a sin offering. Jesus was the offering for our sin. Because as a human, a righteous, perfect human, he could bear the condemnation of God. And yet he had to be God to carry and bear that amount, that immense weight of condemnation. Again, there's a perplexity to it. There's a, there's a mystery to it of how in the world is that possible? We receive it by faith. We receive it by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. 
Again, who is the righteousness of God? Jesus. Who is the righteousness of God? You are. You see that? How perplexing that is? Because you're in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you are the righteousness of God. What a statement. What a, what a statement that is hard to believe. Is that really true? Can that really be that good? That we might become the righteousness of God. It says it right there in the Word. Paul says it like this in verse 4. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Because we are now in Christ when we believe. We put our faith in Jesus and in His work on the cross and in the resurrection. The law's requirement is now fulfilled in us. Because we are in Christ and He fulfilled it with His perfect life. Again, the beauty of being in Christ. And then Paul tags this description of who we are. He says, oh yeah, we are those who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk, we live according to the Spirit. Consider the wonder and perplexity of that. Walking in the Spirit is who you are. It's not something that we're just called to do. Figure this out, do it, live it out. No, Paul says you can do it because it's who you are. We are those. We are those who walk in the Spirit. We are those who live according to the Spirit. Because that's, we're in Christ. We've been made new. That's what our life is. In the Spirit. We don't have life outside of Christ. Maybe we have some kind of physical existence like the rest of people who are dead spiritually. But we only have life in Christ. There's no life in the flesh. Remember the flesh is death. The mindset of the flesh is death. It is our natural state in Christ, walking in the Spirit. But every day our flesh's patterns and desires and assumptions of how the world works try to pull us away from walking in the Spirit. When you get out of bed, which phone will you pick up? The iPhone or the Android? And I'm not going to tell you which one is flesh and which one is spirit because that would start a war we don't need to get into. Pick, yeah, yeah, the iPhone, I agree. There you go, I guess I did. <laughs> yeah. Walking in the Spirit. You must know and believe that according to verse 4, God has made you someone who walks in the Spirit. He calls us to live according to the Spirit because He has now put us in His very Spirit. And again, I'm repeating myself because I don't read my notes. We are in the Spirit of Christ. I've said it about a billion times, but hear it, hear it, hear it. Don't let it, don't gloss over it. Or let it gloss over your ears. Jesus is not here physically because the Holy Spirit is here and we are in Him because we are in the Holy Spirit. Now verse 5, verse 5, moving on. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. So first, as we discuss these next verses, we must realize what Paul just told us. We are not those who walk according to the flesh. We are those who walk according to the Spirit. If we are not those who live according to the flesh... We have no business setting our minds on the things of the flesh. Hear that statement and just let it sit. Just let it sit. What do you do with a statement like that? If we're not those who live according to the flesh, we have no business setting our minds on the things of the flesh. If I were sitting there and one of you were up here telling me that, I would have a lot of objections. I would have a lot of questions. I would have a lot of like, well, what about, like, what does that mean? Like, that's what we're going to talk about. What does that mean? First, what are the things of the flesh? What are the things of the flesh? The things of the flesh, simply put, are those things which pertain to this life and the temporary world in which we live. Basically, all things involved in our temporary lives here on earth are things of the flesh. Now, that's pretty inclusive. That is pretty inclusive. That includes things like marriage. Things like family, our careers, our hobbies, our pastimes. I mean, that's our whole life. That is a description of our lives. Is it not? Like, what? Start to get frustrated. Start to get frustrated with me. The point here is not that we need to avoid the things of the flesh 
as if everything temporary is bad or evil in some way. Paul's not saying forsake your family and current life and everything and be a monk in the mountains. As much as some of you may wish. That is not what God, what Paul is telling us. That's not what this is saying. That's not the point. The point here is that we are living what we are living in accordance to and what are we setting our minds on. Because we all live in the flesh. In some sense, right? We're all human. We're all here. We all see each other for the most part. Hear each other, right? We're interacting in a fleshly world. You say, okay, this is basic, but stick with me here. We're talking about the difference because we're not, that's not just where we live anymore. That's not the, the sum total of our lives anymore. That is the sum total for the world. Do you understand that? That is the sum total. That's all this world is about itself. To set my mind on the things of the flesh and live according to the flesh is for me to seek after relationships, things, and experiences solely for the temporary earthly benefit they provide me. Is that on the screens? Read that. Here's the definition of what it means to set our mind on the things of the flesh. To set my mind on the things of the flesh and live according to the flesh is for me to seek after relationships, things, and experiences solely for the temporary earthly benefit they provide me. And that's true with your marriage, that's true with your family, with your career, everything. Everything in this life, that's true. God does not even enter the equation in the flesh. But, God does not truly enter the equation in the flesh. But many times God, in some sense, does in our thinking. Because when He does enter, it's for the temporary earthly benefit that He provides me. This is religion. This is, you know, honestly, maybe I'm being judgmental, but I, I feel that like for the most part, this is Catholicism at large. It is God for the temporary earthly benefit He gives me. It's all about me, even when it doesn't look like it. Someone who's very religious, someone who's very strict, but is not in the Spirit, how sad is that? Do you see that? Some of you are like, no, that can't be true. That's too, that's too off. Look how hard they're working. Exactly. If you're in the flesh, it doesn't matter how hard you're working. You're not entitled to anything. If you're in the spirit, you're operating in a totally different mode. A totally different operating system. It's all about me even when it doesn't look like it. I can spend my life trying to serve others and be the best person I can all while being deceived and doing it for me. And this is what Peter did. This is what Peter did when Jesus told his disciples he was going to die. Let's go to Mark 8. Let's go to Mark 8. Can you throw that up there, Nate? Let me check the time here. I'm talking way too much. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Nate, can we have that on the screens? Mark 8. I'll just read it here if not. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. To suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, all the good religious people. They're going to kill him. And after three days, he's going to rise. He spoke openly about this. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to save the Jewish people. And Peter's following Jesus. And what does Peter hear? What does Peter do with this information? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Get the picture here. Peter, a human being, he says, God, come over here. You can't say that. Do you, how absurd, how comical, how disturbingly comical is that? He does not know to whom he speaks. What does Jesus do? I just love this. I, I don't know if this is in The Chosen yet. Is it? If they've portrayed this? But man, when they do, I hope they nail this. But turning around, looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. This is, this, that's the same word, setting your mind on the things of the flesh. That setting my mind on, that's the Greek word throneo. It's the same word right here. 
You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. He said, Peter, you're in the flesh. That is of the flesh. That is death. You're thinking, Peter. What, what is behind your statement, what is behind your plan and desire, is Satan. Wow. Feel that in your own life. Feel that right now. Peter had his own plan, his own dream, and agenda and desire that God was a part of. Verse 6, verse 6 through 8. Now the mindset of the flesh is what? Death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. How, how weird, right? Because Jesus is in the mindset of the Spirit, right? And what is he telling his disciples? I'm going to die. How backwards is that? But then he says, hey, Peter, your mindset is a mindset of death. This doesn't make sense. The flesh versus spirit, we've got to think differently. We've got to see differently. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. I bet Paul wrote this with Peter in mind. (laughs) In the spirit... Oh no, here. those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And another way to see the difference between the mindset on the flesh and the mindset on the spirit is this. In the flesh, God is a peace in my story. In the flesh, God is a peace in my story. He may be a 95% peace in my story. This is the most religious people in the world who are in the flesh. God is 99% of their story. But it's their story. Ooh. Ooh, in the spirit, I am simply a very blessed piece in God's story. I am a piece in His story. Now, this doesn't give us all the practical, but it's another way of helping us maybe get a handle on this a little bit. So the impulse here is to say to ourselves, okay, I'm going to work. I just need to think about God more. I'm going to try to not make things about me or something in that vein. That's our temptation here. This is the application, right? No, the problem is that attempt could still very well be the flesh too. This is what the flesh does. It loops. It says, oh, okay, that's not good. You don't like that? Okay, let me try something different. I just, I just need to be better. I just need to be better. How do you know you're not deceived by the flesh? How do you know you're not deceived by your flesh sitting in here today? Man, feel frustrated. Feel it. It sounds good, it sounds right, but the flesh is very convincing. Oh, it's very convincing. You may not think you're smart or bright in here, but I'll tell you something, your flesh is. Your flesh can wiggle you out of a lot of things. Your flesh can play a lot of games with your mind. Your flesh can make you a really good person really fast. How do you know you're not deceived by your flesh? You start feeling hopeless, right? I do. Well, if you're starting to feel you're stuck and that living according to the flesh is inescapable, you're actually close to escaping. Because in order to stop living according to the flesh and setting our mind on the things of the flesh, we have to realize how hopeless and deceiving our flesh is. First step, awareness. It's not everything. It's not, oh, well, I'm aware my flesh is deceiving, therefore I'm not deceived. No, flesh again. This is what Paul showed us in chapter 7. Ah! What a wretched man I am. Everywhere I turn, I'm trying to do what's right. And I'm shut down by sin. Every time I think I'm doing what's right. And many people, it's so sad. You just, they continue. Me, many times. You're just lost in a fleshly state. You may be saved, but, but you're not, you haven't learned to use a different phone. You haven't learned the different operating system. And so you're like, okay, I just need to read my Bible more. No, your flesh could be really good at reading the Bible. Your flesh could be real consistent coming to church. Your flesh can be really good at loving people. Those quotes are very important right there. We need a different operating system. We need a different way of seeing our relationships. A different way of seeing things. Our possessions. Our experiences. The hopes and dreams that we have. I'm looking forward to going to Montana to see my family in November. That's such a normal thing, isn't it? That's so normal. 
It's not bad. But I want, I want to see that in the spirit. You're like, this is just petty. This is just, no, God is my life. Church, no, God is your life. If he's not, you're missing it, like missing it. Maybe you've missed it for decades. Don't panic. God is here. Humble yourself and ask, Lord, I need this new operating system. And it's not new. It's scripture. It's scripture. Are you with me? We need a different lens. We must forsake the flesh all together. We can't escape the flesh if we are operating in the flesh. The flesh can't get out of itself. You can't turn a Galaxy S22 into an iPhone iPhone 14. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Do you see how hopeless it is? This is Romans 7 again. This is what Paul showed us in Romans 7. Hopelessness. Okay, gosh, we get it, right? It's hopeless, we're stuck, we are deceived, we can't get out of the flesh. Verse 9, verse 9. You, however, one of the most beautiful howevers in all of Scripture. You, however, beloved believer, you're not in the flesh. That's not your phone. That's not your phone. Put it down. Put it down. Stop using the Nokia from, I don't know, 07? I don't even know. I remember when I was real young, we had this thing with an antenna. I was thinking about that. I was like, we didn't actually use that, did we? It was just like a remnant from the past that I kind of like came into in my life. Stop using that. You don't need this little antenna thing. Stop using that phone. It's death. Do you trust Christ? Your default, your new normal state is in the spirit. Now it may not feel normal because we are so trained to operate in the flesh. But living according to the Spirit starts by believing you are in the Spirit. Simple as that. Start there. I'm just going to believe that I'm in the Spirit. I'm just going to believe it. That's too simple, right? It's too simple for the flesh. The flesh is like, no, nah, i, I, I got to figure this out. i got to do this, man. i got to, I don't know. Do you feel that? Maybe it's just me. Like when I'm talking about stuff, you feel like this, this, con- no, it can't be that simple. Oh, it is. Trust in Christ. I'm in the Spirit. I don't care what I feel like. I'm going to believe it because it's the Word. This is step one right here. Step one. So think about it. Android users or iPhone users. Have you ever switched operating systems? I was Android for years. I couldn't afford Apple until my parents bought me a phone. No, I'm just Right? But when I switched over to, to Apple, there is this period of frustration <laughs> where you don't know where things are. You just hung up a call. You were trying to answer it, but, you know, buttons are in the wrong place. You're looking for the, the, the app store, but there is no app store because you're on a Galaxy and it's the Play Store. You don't even know where to get apps. The frustration. You're learning a new operating system. Do you see that? Do you see, that's the flesh and the spirit. You've, you've switched over. You've literally switched over from death to life. You have a new life. You have a new phone. But you, we need to learn how to operate it. So after all this talk, how do we live according to the spirit? How do we set our minds on the things of the spirit? And this is not novel. This is not a secret thing. This is not, guys, I studied real hard and I found this, this knowledge hidden in the word that none of you have heard. No, this is basic. It's too basic, and I'm repeating it again because I got ahead of myself. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. We trust in Christ in each moment. Again, it's too basic for the flesh. Don't just tell me that, Hunter. I got that. Man, this was me for so many years. Let's explore this trust. But before we explore what it means to trust in Christ, we must ask an essential question. Are you with me? You need to be alive for this question. What are we trusting Christ for? 
To what end am I trusting Christ? Because we're so good at throwing out that vague statement. Oh, I just need to trust in God more. Man, there's a situation going on. I know I just need to trust God, but it's hard. I need to trust God. For what? For what? In the flesh, we are trusting Christ for things He has not promised. I just need to trust God that, you know, He's just going to fix the situation. I just need to trust God that this job is going to work out. I just need to trust God that, you know, He's going to change that person and... And again, the deception of the flesh, because some of that is true. But if that's what I'm, that's the end of what I'm trusting Christ for, I've I've stopped like, you know, on earth when I should be shooting for heaven. That's how short that thinking is. If that's the end, if that's what you're trusting Christ for, it's the flesh, you've missed it. You miss it. I just need to trust God that He's going to make me happy and He's going to make all these things work. I just need to trust God. Ooh, ooh. I just need to trust God that He's going to make this dream come true. Maybe. Maybe. But that is just way too easy to be in the flesh when we're trusting Christ for those things. In the Spirit, well, before that, And I think you can guess, in the flesh, when you're trusting Christ for those things, the end is usually disappointment. And then you're like, God, what, what was, what happened? And he doesn't condemn you. How rich. He didn't say, well, you messed up. You should have been trusting me. You're trusting me for the wrong thing. You're doing your own thing. No, 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 no. It's not the voice of your father. He says, hey, I didn't say that I would do that for you. I didn't, that was not my will for you. In the Spirit, we trust Christ to glorify Himself. How boring. That has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with me. How disappointing. How tragic. How tragic is that? Or does it? Does it have something to do with me? And this is, again, where the flesh wants to creep in and say, well, well, I'm there. No, no, we are there in the Spirit. But who's it about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Oh, guys, I was so deceived for so many years. And still do. When I was younger, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be the next Chris Tomlin. And you know who it was for? It was for Jesus. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That is good right there. You go, Hunter. You go. You be a rock star for Jesus. Deception. And God was with me. God loved me. There was purity there. But there's a lot of flesh there. There's a lot of flesh there. Who is that about? It's about me. It's about me. And you're like, okay, I just need to tell the difference. Is this about me or is this about God? Is this about me? No, you can't. That's the flesh's conversation. That's the flesh coming in with a microphone and saying, who's this about? It's about you or is this about God? Let's, let's, this is about God, right? It's about God. Okay, do this and this, and then it'll really be about God. Do you see the deception? It's too easy, it's too easy, it's too easy to start operating on the flesh. God, I need you every moment, every hour. Why? Why do we sing that song? Why do we sing that song? Is it getting annoying yet? I need you, God, because I'm going to default into the flesh. And that's not where I belong, that's not even who I am. But it's too easy for me to jump on that track and just ride with the flesh. It looks too good. It's too deceiving. I do not have the ability to see it and save myself. I need you, Lord. I must, you must help me walk in the Spirit. Oh, how many notes did I just skip? In the Spirit, we trust Christ to glorify Himself. We have, have we forgotten what this is all about? 
We trust God to be who he is for us. So there's us. We're in the peace there. We're in there. We're a part of God's story. We trust that he is kind and sufficient in every situation and for every need. We trust he is worthy of our suffering. He is worthy of us humbling ourselves and facing hard situations. He has called us to. We trust he is provider. Truly trusting Christ for all these things naturally pulls us out of the flesh. Because our fleshly agendas don't survive this list of pursuits and priorities. When I'm truly pursuing the glory of God, the pure revelation of who he is to myself and others, then my concern for the flesh is by necessity laid down. It goes inactive. I set the phone down and it turns off. My mind cannot be set on both things. And when I'm pursuing the glory of God, I'm confessing that the flesh cannot help in that pursuit. So I lay down fleshly wisdom that would try to presume what glorifies God most. Instead, I'm just surrendered to the Spirit leading me in what glorifies God most. This is what we miss about the glory of God. This is what the flesh misses. Is that the glory of God is the best thing for us. God being glorified is the best thing for me. And again, my flesh really struggles with that one. Really struggles to accept that and receive that. So I receive it in the Spirit. I receive it by faith. And this is a day-to-day thing. Not just a big picture thing. Not just a Sunday morning thing. I can start each day and find myself in the middle of each day asking, Lord, please lead me in what glorifies you. In what most glorifies you. Be my satisfaction and security. My satisfaction and security. Be my joy. So when it comes to interacting with the things of the flesh, human relationships, entertainment, experiences, material things, how do we live according to the Spirit? Again, this is not just a to-do. This is not a formula. Okay? I'm almost afraid to go too practical with this because I fear that we'll just hear, just do this like this, and bam, you're walking in the Spirit. Listen. It's not about the things themselves. Family career, daily routines, daily pleasures, blah, blah, blah. But rather, is my mind set on the things or is my mind set on God in the midst of those things? And again, man, I, I am learning this. I'm learning this. I'm not standing up here as someone who's got some tenure in this or something. Like, I've been living in the Spirit for 15 years now. No. I still am too content to just play video games and just, like, uh, I'm not thinking about God. I, I don't care really to find God in the midst of this. Like, it's just, it's way too easy. There's one example, right? It's not about the things. You may need to change some of the things you do because the Spirit's just not in those things. At, at any, he doesn't have anything for you in those things. But for the most part, you just need to walk in a different operating system. You know you can run the same app on two different phones? Right? You know you can have the Facebook app on an Android phone and an iPhone? Did you know that? Nobody knew that? I'm sorry, guys. I, I am using the excuse that I'll preach to you once a month, so we're going long because of that. We're at 52 minutes. God, forgive me. Okay. Are you with me? Oh, wow. Okay. I was going to say, maybe we should just end. I love this prayer. I wrote it. Lord, here I am again, and I cannot achieve living in the Spirit today. You must lead me in the Spirit. Have my trust today. Have my desire and my pleasure today. I'm not expecting myself to perfectly walk in the Spirit or perfectly set my mind on the things of the Spirit without any invasion of the flesh, but I am trusting you to answer these requests. I am trusting that you are actually present with me right now. I am choosing to trust that you are leading me and that you will correct me if I go off course. I rest in your love. Again, I'm just thinking of that song we just sang. I trust in you as I now engage the relationships responsibilities, and plans of this life you have called me to live. Please teach me to value the things of the Spirit in all these things. Because that's one of the words this comes down to as well. 
What are you valuing, right? If our marriage, me and my wife, if our marriage is, is valuing us, we're in the flesh. If me loving my family is only valuing those relationships for the joy I experience in them, in the flesh, and the joy they experience in me, flesh. That's intense. There's no middle ground. This is intense. (laughs) In the flesh is what? Death. Death, just absent of God. There's no relationship. There's no connection with God, just death. In the spirit is life and peace. There's no middle ground. There's no quasi-life or quasi-death. Life, death. Verses 10 and 11, last verses. Here we go. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Oh, here we go. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Again, when we're saying flesh, we're not just talking about physical body. That's part of it. But it's the human part of me. The earthly part of me that loves and cherishes the things of this life so dearly. And I do. My flesh is very passionate about its desires and concerns. We must continue to seek to understand. Weird sentence. We must continue to seek to understand and live in the reality that we are dead. The body is dead because of sin. I'm dead to sin. I am dead to the flesh. I do not need to live in it, in that sense. Because it's so confusing, because they're like, we're alive, we're dead. What are we? Exactly, we're both. We're dead to sin, alive to God. There's no ability to please God with what you see with your eyes here, and when you look at me, or when you look at each other. There's no ability in that to please God. That can be a vessel, right? That's what our bodies are. They're temples of God. They're, they're the, the inhabitants. How crazy is, is God to do that? That he would set this up like that. That these fleshly zombie sacks we live in, he wants them to be his temple. How amazing is God? Because he's going to say, yeah, that's where my glory is seen. That's where my glory is seen. Let me in the darkest place, God says. Let me in the darkest place. Let me, let, me, let me go to the worst. I'll show my glory. There's no ability to, oh, I already read this. In that sense, the body is dead and it is cursed to rot in the ground one day. It is cut off from life because it's corrupted by sin. In chapter 7, Paul says, there's nothing good in my flesh. Nothing good is there. The hunter you physically see is, again, that sack of zombie flesh. But the Spirit is in here. Guys, the Spirit of God is in this sack of zombie flesh. And because the Spirit is there, there's life. There's life in this, in this rot. Because the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. This is uh, awesome. Because we have Christ's righteousness, the Spirit gives us life. It's more powerful to see God in someone than seeing the person themselves. It's not that we devalue each other. No, but that's what like fellowship is about. We, what's amazing about fellowship is that we get to see God in each other. That's another level than just kind of getting together as church people to try to, let's figure out how to do what's right. Let's, wit- let's come together and let's witness God. That was Wednesday night here in prayer. Reuben was sharing some things that were just so encouraging me, right? I said some things. These people said some things. And it wasn't like there's no glory for Reuben. There's no glory for me. There's no glory for Jeremy or anyone who shared something good. There's no glory for us because what are we doing? We're getting together and we're saying, wow, look what God is doing in them. Anything pure that you pick up in me, anything, man, again, my notes say this. 
Encouragement is recognizing God and His work in each other and calling that out. The things of the Spirit. When we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of each other, we are witnessing Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. There's that death piece. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Bam! That's what we're talking about. In the Spirit. We are beholding the Spirit's presence, the closeness and animation of the Spirit in each other. He is the life within us. That's so much more rich when you believe it. Understand that God is your life. You're owned. You belong to someone. He is your life. And I told the guys at the mission on Thursday, conclusion, Last page. I told the guys I was preaching to them at the mission. And uh, it is a fearful thing to preach God's word for this very reason. It is fearfully wondrous, a fearfully wondrous thing to be used by God in any way. Because you know that it does not originate in you. When you see the authentic work of God in someone's life, or you, you see God doing authentic work, spiritual work in you, changing you, when you see God using you, someone comes up to you and says, man, I'm just really blessed. This guy came up to me, man. I think he's an angel. I'm not sure. But he said, man, I'm homeless right now. What you said just encouraged me so much. And I just, I wanted him to stay there so I could have a conversation. I wanted to know what was going on in his life. There was such an authenticity this dude was clearly like not on drugs or anything. I was just like, bro, what's, and he told, he said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it? Bro, I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know specifically how I can pray for you. No, he just came up and he just said, like, thank you. That meant a lot. You know what I'm seeing in that moment? Fear, wondrous fear. Whoa, God just used me. God just blessed this brother. I have no clue who he is. That's not, Hunter, that's not, do you see this? Stop, stop looking with the flesh. Look in the spirit. Hunter's nothing, you're nothing, it's God, it's Jesus. And he is your joy. Not, not your own goodness, not your own status, right? That's not our joy. The joy is seeing God, because when he's glorified, that's what happened in that moment between me and Johnny was his name. Right? That's what was happening. It was glorifying God. Ah, seeing God, beholding Him, glorifying Him. The Almighty God of the universe has chosen us to use us as vessels of His own presence. That is more astounding than our minds can grasp. In your, if your faith has been strengthened this morning, if you have received God's love afresh, if you have received hope or correction, conviction or spiritual comfort, then fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That's not from me or anyone else on this stage. It means God is present. And this isn't trying to like, oh, guys, like, do you see this? You know, guy, I feel God's doing this. I see God doing this, you know, in your life. You had a dream. No, it's not cheesy garbage. It's just truth. It's just truth that God is here. What a wondrous reality. We don't need to feel it in our flesh because it's spiritual. We believe it. We receive it by faith. Are you getting this? The living God is present. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Now live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. He is your life. So let all your plans, all your dreams, this intense what I'm calling to you, but I don't hesitate because we're not here to play around. We're not here to play church. We're not here to feel good about ourselves. We're here to meet with God. We're here to know God. Somebody say amen. Somebody. I hope that's why we're here. We better figure that out real soon as a church. And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I just mean in, in sincerity. We want to know God. So let all your plans, your dreams, your desires, and your agenda be filtered through that, through the glory of God and knowing Him. 
It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Don't take, don't take that away from him. Don't take what, is, what, what Jesus is worthy of and give it to yourself. We all lose when we do that. We all win when Jesus is glorified. When he is seen in worship for who he is, we all win. Man, thank you so much, guys, for listening to me. We may have like a, um, you know, a staff correction meeting or something on Wednesday for me. But uh, appreciate your patience in the meantime. God, thank you so much. Lord, I pray, Lord, feed us. Lord, help us. God, I need you. This afternoon, it's just so easy to feel good about, yes, I preach that truth. I'm confident in it. I believe it. I want this in my life. And then, I, I, you know, even just singing right now. My, my mind can be on, okay, I need to play the guitar. I need to do this. I need to, you know, this needs to kind of be the response. This later today. Oh, I need, I'm, I'm hungry. I need some food. Like, immediately our mind can go to fleshly things. And God, I just thank you for food. Thank you that we have probably, and everyone in here probably has enough money to go get a meal after this. Lord, help us see even that because Paul said, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And we can't do that in the flesh. We need your spirit, Lord. Please, help us walk in the spirit. Help us live according to the spirit. Help us set our minds on the things of the spirit. Lord, take this so much further than my words can. Let your words resonate and, and stay and plant and, be, and, and produce fruit in the lives of your people today. Man, if you're here and you know, I don't, I'm not even in the spirit. I'm not even in Christ. I don't think I know Jesus, then please come talk to me afterwards. Let's pray. Let's have a conversation. If anyone wants to come to the front and just be with the Lord and commune with Him, if, if you want to come give your life to Jesus, you don't need me. Just come and give your life or give your life to Jesus in your chair there. There's no special way of doing this, but I just want to invite you to come up if that's something that would encourage you. Why don't we stand and let's sing. Let's sing to God.